Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Welcome to The Common Good on AIM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Ian Simpkins. My name is Brian Fromm, and we are super excited that you've chosen to join us here on what is a gloomy Thursday afternoon. <laughs> it is. I'm looking out the window. It is oh, pretty gloomy. Oh, man. Just when we think like we've got this going, like we're, we're you know, the weather's turned and it's going to be nice. No. I, to- I told you I didn't buy it, didn't I? Oh, I want to be on record. I didn't buy it. This is something. Well, anyway. You can follow us uh, on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, online at 1160hope.com. You can text us, 68683. And we'd really love for you to text us. Give us your feedback. We'll read them on air. And uh, Well, we can't. We can't <laughs> guarantee if, that. <laughs> if they pass FCC regulations, we'll read them on air. You can always call us at 312-660-2594 right. as well. And we're doing something special again today. I think a couple weeks ago we tried this. We did our show uh, and had it going simultaneously on Facebook Live. And so you can follow the show and you can follow us on Facebook Live and uh, you can see our, our smiling faces. I you probably won't be smiling all the time. Ian's cardigan. And, uh, but it's fun. It's a fun way to interact with our audience. And we would love to have you there. Well, man, uh, we talked a lot earlier in this week about kind of um, – the the heaviness that we felt even in watching uh, those flames coming up out of Notre Dame Cathedral, right? Like uh, you and I just remember we were sitting here looking at some of the pictures like between <laughs> taping, uh, between being on air and, and just like, I can't believe this is happening. And then, uh, you know, thankfully, uh, everything that was the stone structure at Notre Dame um, uh, survived and the people of France like we're rebuilding this within five years I guess I want to start there why as we've reflected on this for a couple of days then we're going to take this in a different direction uh, why do we think that so many people were so affected not just Parisians but so many people in general were so affected just to to see Notre Dame Cathedral this famous cathedral in flames yeah I mean there's a couple of directions I would go with that but honestly I think that every human heart is designed to crave the transcendent at some level, right? Whether you're into churchy language or not, or religious language. I I just think that when we see something like that, that, you know, it's not only uh, historic, which is part of it, right? That's a You talk about the history of buildings in our country versus the history of buildings in other countries. Like, oh, we we can't even hold a candle to that. So I do think that there is something um, about the historicity of it, but really at like a heart soul level, I think that we know, that a building like that um, at its best is yeah. pointing to something beyond us and has for so many other people. So it's this perfect blending of like 
this building has had significance for people for centuries and even in the present, even if I don't have language for it, I know that its purpose is is to be this sacred space. Yeah. Even if I'm not Team Jesus or Team Bible or any of that, there's there's something to that. I think Team Bible. That's awesome. <laughs> I think you're exactly right. There there's something even you you and I talked a couple of days ago about awe, right, and the importance of awe. I think there's something about the structures of a place like Notre Dame that that inspires awe just in the presence of being in there. But a couple of weeks ago, now you and I did a story about there being three churches uh, being burned, uh, three African-American churches, I believe in Louisiana, being burned with the, within the span of days. And just how much we said, you know what, as, as Christians, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we need to care about this. Yeah. Um, that, and, and I did some more reading on it, that, uh, that the burning of churches, I think of it as a big deal, but uh, in the African-American church in the, in the past, when, the, when in the, you know, more in the 50s and the 60s, that was like the highest sign of like, of like racism was yeah. the burning of a church. And so it's not just a random, well, they chose a church over a school or something. It is, it is at the core of this community. And so yeah. uh, there's been arrests made and all of this stuff. Uh, and so we talked about that. Once Notre Dame began, also had their fire, you began to see these articles start to leak out going, why not the outcry about these other churches, which, you know, makes sense, but also uh, there's a lot of feelings there, right? Yeah. Um, but there's been some good news out of that. I think the the burning of one church uh, in Paris has spurred people to hmm. go, well, the burning of these churches matters too. And in fact, there has been a lot of money raised uh, for those three churches, I believe, down in Louisiana. Well, there again, the motivation... The context is drastically different between these two Absolutely. burnings, not just in, you know, the how renowned the actual space is, but it, as best we can tell, one was an accident and most of these others were a hate crime. Yep. Right. That's a, that has a very different level of gravity. And I, I would love to know what you think. Like, is there is there a, um, a situation where you've seen a similar type of action where like one catastrophe actually sparked uh, the solutions of a number of other similar catastrophes where like one served as like mm-hmm. this beacon where it's like, Oh, we have awareness to this thing now that like caused, cause I feel like a lot with a lot of this, this age of crowdfunding, we've seen some really cool stories about, you know, like kids getting bullied and the story goes viral and we raise money for the family or a lunch lady or a bus driver. Like I've seen a lot of great stuff come out of this. And then sometimes the, the dark undercurrent is that we can't, care for both right you can't like a lot of the tweets and posts i've been seeing is oh so billionaires do have access to move some money around but only if it you know is a church building and certainly not the poor people of the world i think oh man they have a point to that but can they can they ever do right you know put their money towards anything without catching some criticism from somebody exactly i don't know i don't know if any come to mind i would like to think when things happen to celebrities uh, it tends to raise awareness, like you said, around bullying or, you know, if there was a suicide out. But I don't know. To, I don't actually know of any specific stories. But mm. the more high profile things, I think, is the point when when there's tragedies that are high profile and then you're able to link other things to them. Like, hey, don't forget about this. Yeah, uh, it ends up. Uh, so there is that good tie in right there. And I do get that, man. Like it, sometimes it's annoying where you're like, oh, if they were if they could give to that. Well, how about we celebrate the fact that people are giving but also give people other opportunities. And so, you know, I'm all for them linking to this story and going, hey, there are these other churches here. And it reminds us of the, of the conversation you and I had last week. Like, you know, uh, do me, do, do 
somebody like me who lives in the North, uh, who's white, do I care about an African-American church in the South you Burning? Should. And I absolutely should. And that's what yeah. we came out of that segment with. But do I really? Do I really? Mm. And, and this is why I'm so encouraged to read the story of the amount of money now that's being raised. I don't think anybody would ever say they don't care. Yeah. I think people, it's out of sight, out of mind. Uh, and mm. so now this has given a venue to put that in sight, if you will, to keep the imagery going of something yeah. that I'm, I'm excited about that. Well, and it, it, it honestly kind of makes me think of the story of uh, the mosque shooting in New Zealand. Mm. And then all these other stories came out of like, well, what about these shootings? Yes. What about the tragedies happening over there and over here? And I think, OK, that's a, that is a good point. Uh, but that does sometimes to me feel like. We can't actually highlight any tragedy if we're not highlighting every tragedy, yes. and and that becomes tricky too. Now, I'm not so naive to, to to think that like media doesn't have a bias, and there are certain stories that are like making its way to our eyeballs, and others are strategically not. Like yep. I, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but I I certainly am aware that like there's a team of people pulling levers in a lot of those yes. arenas. But doesn't it sometimes feel like oh we can't you can't ever really talk about any tragedy if you're not covering all, all of, of the bases yes. all the time. And if you're not, well, then you, you need to better just keep your, your mouth shut. Absolutely. And so I, I think from the Notre Dame Cathedral fire, we, we are reminded again uh, that history matters. You know, these kind of landmarks matter and they, and they have something deep in us. They, they conjure up something deep within us. But also, uh, I'm glad it has raised a spotlight in some of the other tragedies that have happened, particularly uh, these fires uh, down in those uh, African-American churches in Louisiana. So if you're able to give, you can look up oh, online yeah. and you're going to find a Please lot do. of ways right now that you can give. Well, we're excited to be off and running right now on this Thursday. Coming up next, we're going to talk about uh, a study that was done and reported on the Christianity Today that says this, less than half of British Christians believe Jesus died on the cross for their sins. It seems very apropos around Good Friday and Easter. So we're going to have that conversation coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Ian Simpkins. My name is Brian Fromm. We're excited that you're joining us today on this Thursday afternoon. We're doing something fun today. We're on Facebook Live, so you can find that at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. Uh, you can see what it looks like in here, how the magic is made, my man. <laughs> I think you said that last time. No, I, did. <laughs> I, I really think you time. did. No. I'm going to keep raising the bar for this over and over and over How can again. you get higher than magic? <laughs> I know. I don't know, but we're going to try. You can also find us online at 1160hope.com, or you can podcast our show wherever it is you get your podcast. What we'd love for you to do is to um, is to go to the, your, wherever you get your podcast, subscribe, rate the show, uh, that helps us uh, in many different ways. You can also text us. You can text us at 68683 in the message section. Write CG followed by whatever it is, a question, a comment, a reply to something that we've been talking about. And as always, you can call us at 312-660-2594. That's 312-660-2594. Well, Christianity Today came out with an article this week, a uh, very timely article with it being uh, Holy Week, Good Fridays tomorrow, Easter coming up this weekend. Uh, and it's this study that came out that says this, less than half of British Christians believe that Jesus died on the cross for their sins. Reading it, only 46% of British Christians believe Jesus died on the cross to save them from their sins. A survey of over 2,000 British adults uh, 
was carried out on the BBC and asked participants, to what extent, if at all, do you agree or disagree that Jesus died on the cross and was resurrected at Easter so that you can be forgiven for your sins? Out of the respondents who identified as Christian, a quarter said they neither disagreed nor agreed, while 17% of Christians said they did not agree at all. And so this raises a question, man, like, I don't know. What's the basic question here? Can you believe that Jesus didn't die on the cross for your sin and still have the title of Christian? You could still have the title of British, but can you can you still like sorry, have, you're no longer a Christian or British. So, I, yes, you can still be British in this survey, uh, but can you still be Christian in this survey? Well, I'm curious what would people say uh, when asked this question? No, I'm a I'm a Christ follower that does not believe that it actually happened. I and I don't know that they're saying they don't believe it didn't happen as much as they say it didn't. That's not the purpose. Like Jesus didn't come to forgive sins or that's not what was accomplished on the cross. But for me, um, I don't know. This seems pretty orthodox, foundational at the core of what it means to be a Christian, uh, to follow Jesus, that ultimately— um, Jesus came to yes, teach and to, to have, to do miracles and to show a different way to live. Like Jesus did all those things. Uh, but Jesus also came to lay down his life, um, for the forgiveness of sins, for life eternal, for hope granted and to raise, you know, to ultimately, as Paul writes in first Corinthians, defeat sin and death for all time, uh, by the tomb being empty. My point being, uh, I find it hard to to be like, hey, I'm a Christian, but I don't believe Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Those seem pretty uh, necessarily linked to one another. Well, I think you use the word also. I think that's an important word because I will just say I have often heard sermons that said the only thing Jesus came to yes. do was to die. Yep. And I don't I don't think that's right. I think yep. that misses. If that were the case, what was the point of him living? What was yes. the point of him being raised by a poor family and learning a trade and learning in the temple. And I mean, that would seem uh, peripheral at best. And uh, so I I think you are spot on there that uh, death and resurrection certainly was a, like a massive crescendo of that and ushered in, as we've talked about the, the already not yet that Mm NT Wright talks about. Um, But I would a lot, man, I really wish I had one of these people in the studio uh, to talk about what what do you believe happened there? Because maybe what they're saying is because I, I there's certainly some theological distinction between was the crucifixion appeasing an angry God? Was this to show the true sinfulness of human hearts? Was it something in between? There's you know we call these atonement theories. There's a yes. lot of there's a, I mean there's a laundry list of different theological approaches to talk specifically about what happened at Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. Yep. And I think that's a fascinating area of study. Um, but this is worded in a pretty inclusive sense. Like, okay, regardless of what you think was actually happening, like legally or theologically here, uh, Jesus dying for our sins, you're right, is is pretty all-encompassing. <laughs> and I would be really curious, like, is, is there a Christianity divorced from that statement, yeah. from that affirmation? Because I, I think all that you're really left with then is— some some great moral principles, yep. uh, possibly even like a miraculous type of living. Yep. And ultimately, I didn't really need him. Mm. Like, I'm grateful for what he's taught us. I'm yeah. even grateful for the ways that Jesus or his church have shaped me. Made me better. Made me better. Yep. I'm a better husband or father because of it. I, I mean, I don't, I don't want to dismiss any of it. I think all that's really, really important. In yep. fact, in many ways, the opposite seems to be true. That, like, I prayed a prayer so I get to go to heaven when yes. I die. Uh, but that's licensed to be like a total jerk until yep. I do. Like, I think that misses the mark yep. in a tremendous way. 
But I don't know. Like, is is there such thing as a Christianity that denies at some degree that Jesus died on the cross for their sins? I think it's just a lack of understanding of what it means to be a Christian. Because I also, if you look later in this article, it says the poll also revealed that only a minority regularly attend a religious service. Hmm. Asked on average how often they attended a religious service, excluding marriages and funerals, nearly two-thirds of all respondents answered never. So these are people self-identifying in Britain as Christians. Now, again, it's a pretty big uh, survey, over 2,000. Uh, self-identifying as Christians, but two-thirds of them saying, I never go to church, and <laughs> a large number of them saying, I don't believe that Jesus came for the purpose of that when Jesus went to the cross, that he laid down his life for the forgiveness of sins. Because then you're exactly right. You're left with a good teacher. But even that, you know, you get into your C.S. Lewis stuff of Jesus is either a liar, a lunatic, or the Lord. I mean, Jesus himself said he was laying down his life uh, and so if you deny that, then you're, you can't call him a good teacher, right? Cause it's old C.S. Lewis's thing that a good teacher wouldn't lie like that. Right. Uh, again, to be fair, I think there's more categories than what Lewis lays out because it is easy for us to simply call someone a liar mm-hmm. based on our modern Western post enlightenment interpretation of what he said or didn't say. Like the, that certainly it's so easy for us to, I'm not saying this is a perfect example of a straw man, but I think for the purposes of like, and I, and I actually really love C.S. Lewis. I was going to say, you did learn in oh, Christian I love college C.S. Lewis. that you're not allowed to push I, back against C.S. Lewis, right? <laughs> oh, is he, is he one of the sacred cows? Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, I'm yeah. pushing back anyway, because I think it's more complicated than that. I think, I think for us to say, <laughs> oh, well, then you're calling him a liar. What we, what we're not also including is I'm now interpreting yeah. these English words of Jesus through a particular framework and context. I think. We need we need good, I think, humility when approaching dogma and doctrine about what we believe Jesus is or is yeah. not saying in this you know particular situation. You you are very good at, at helping remind us that there's nuance <laughs> to things, right? Thanks, and so I do appreciate about you. I do. I'm I'm uncomfortable. I'm, I think the lightning strike's going to come because you you took a shot at C.S. Lewis. Like, what's next, Billy? That's Graham? very possible. It's very possible. Yeah. <laughs> Coming up next, Ian's going to go after Billy Graham. <laughs> Where are you going next? <laughs> I will uh, never, I probably won't ever do that. That's so true. But friends, this is what, you know, ultimately we want to spin this towards Good Friday, towards Easter. Like this is a big week. This is Holy Week. And we want to say, uh, be reminded that hopefully tomorrow on Good Friday, you're gathering uh, with your community of faith to um, to remember and to uh, to reflect upon, to focus yourself. Uh, some would even say to grieve alongside uh, with the death of Jesus, right? Like, the the death of yeah. Jesus matters and and in a big way and it's got to be something that that takes our focus this week. Yeah, agreed. Well said, man. And so you know we we've said this all week. We're super excited that it's Easter, but you don't want to blow past the crucifixion of Jesus to get to the empty tomb. It's all part of the event. That's right. Uh, that we've got to be celebrating. We're gonna we're gonna shift uh, uh, direction a little bit next. Coming up next. We're going to talk about an interesting article out of Fortune magazine that proposes this, that the U.S. is the unhappiest it's ever been. Jeez. Uh, So we're going to try to figure out if that is true. For Ian Simpkins, I'm Brian Fromm. That's what's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. We are glad that you're joining us today. If you're joining us on Facebook, we are on Facebook Live right now, which if you are on there at this moment, you're going to see Ian dancing and waving. He's not really engaged in the show. He just wants you to see him dance. So 
I'm excited. Yeah, this is fun. I'm man. not going to talk anymore. Then I'll just dance. Every now and then, though, I find myself uh, just watching ourselves on there, and then I'm like, oh wait, I got to talk. <laughs> so if you're interested in that, you can follow us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show. That's the Common Good Radio Show. You could call us at three one two. Six six zero two five nine four. That's three one two six six zero two five nine four. You can text us at six eight six eight three. That's six eight six eight three. In the comment section, type CG followed by whatever message you have for us. And man, I, did I just complain? I have like a affirmation like needs. I think that we're learning. Like I have these, and we're not learning. We fully learned. I said to you, all you people can know this out there. I said to Ian, man, why does nobody ever text us? So. <laughs> If you just want to help me feel good, could you please text us at 68683 and just say, say, hey, man, I affirm you. (laughs) That's the most Jeb Bush you've ever sounded. (laughs) Please clap. Please applause. I'm begging. I'm begging. That's funny. You can also find old shows uh, at 1160hope.com or also on we're podcasted. So on any platform that you get your podcast, you can get them there. All right. This article we found out of fortune.com that when I saw the headline, uh, it's uh, it caught my eye. It was very intriguing. It says this: the U.S. is the unhappiest it's ever been. Hmm. The United States, it reads, is the unhappiest it's ever been in the 2019 World Happiness Report. I like that report. <laughs> it says that I like that report. It says that Finland <laughs> Finland remains the happiest country on Earth for the second year in a row, while the U.S. drops to number 19, its worst ranking ever. In 2018, it was number 18. In 2017, it was number 14. The global report of 156 countries released Wednesday placed five Nordic countries in the top 10. Netherlands, Switzerland, New Zealand, Canada, and Austria filling out the other 10 spots, the other top spots. Uh, Researchers with the UN Sustainable Development Solutions Network have been creating the annual happiness report since 2012 based on global data from Gallup. Mm. Countries' happiness scores are determined by six main variables on a three-year average. GDP per, ca- per capita, healthy life expectancy at birth, social support from friends and family, freedom to make life choices, generosity in the form of donations to charity, hmm. and perceptions of government corruption. Wow. And so basically they spit out all of these into a formula. And it says, in the U.S., where prosperity is on the rise, researchers pin the blame on declines in social capital and social support and increases in obesity and substance abuse. This one author believes fundamental changes in how Americans spend their leisure time are also to blame, pointing a finger at the rise of digital media and the decline of face-to-face interaction. So there's a lot there from the big grand point there that it's saying that we're the lowest in the unhappiness or in the happiness rankings we've ever been. Yeah. But then also some of those reasoning. So do you think that this uh do you think this is accurate? I mean, based on the categories, it doesn't actually surprise me all that much. In fact, uh so the report co-author said this, uh calling the United States a mass addiction society. Mm. The prevalence of addictions, which are, again, to be fair, we tend to think of addictions in a very narrow category, right? right. We think of drugs and alcohol, and maybe we add porn in there somewhere, but yep. it's actually much more broad than that. It's just the prevalence of addictions, including gambling, social media use, video gaming, shopping, consuming unhealthy foods, mm. exercising, engaging in extreme sports or risky sexual behaviors in American society seems to be on the rise, perhaps dramatically. So mm. he's, he's linking some of those things that actually don't sound all that awful, uh, as still addictive behavior yep. and is connecting our 
draw our obsession with addictive behavior to our pervasive unhappiness. And again, this is one of those examples where like I want to flip back is like, is this from a Bible website? This, I know. Uh, you know what I mean? Like fortune.com is saying, hey, part of the reason that we find ourselves so perpetually unhappy is because of lack of this, a lack mm-hmm. of like real time invested in real face to face interactions. And it feels so juvenile and so one on one. Like we would teach our kids this, like, oh, make time for people and relationships. And yet yes. it seems across the board. And I've read other other articles making similar claims that this isn't even like a class thing or geography thing. Like we in general are not, great at this now certain regions are better than others but it is also interesting that i think you know if you're just joining us we end every show with like some absurdity that we find online and i don't think we've ever done a story out of finland (laughs) i don't think finland finland has never been on that list so they're they're doing something right but uh i don't know i think that that's a really really fascinating kind of thesis like a conclusion that i mean if we don't figure this out yep all of the extreme sports and all of the food and extravagance in the world is ultimately not going to contribute to our happiness. Yeah, and in some ways it gets down to what what causes happiness. What uh, what brings about even if you remove, you know, the biblical stuff about what brings joy versus happiness and all that stuff, but just uh just, you know, for believers and non-believers, what ultimately leaves us feeling happy? I think this is something that's going to have to come up in this report is that we often think it's the more money I have, the happier I'm going to be. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, the more power I have. But we live in a country that is near the top of the list on on cash, on money, uh-huh. on prosperity. But yet our happiness is going to, I think they're also, uh, like you touched on, their, their discussion here about social media I think is huge, about yeah. digital media, because we... Uh, we think we're engaging with people, but we're really not. And instead, we're lonely. What's really going to hurt your happiness quotient? Loneliness. Yeah, right. Um, and, you know, I, I do think that that is an epidemic within our culture. People are lonelier and lonelier mm. as they're more connected and more connected. Their self-esteem is going down because not only are they lonely, but they, everyone around them looks happy because online. And I think we have we are increasingly creating a culture that is – that is missing the boat on what actually provides happiness. Yeah. Uh, it's one of these things I've quite frankly enjoyed about doing this show on, on a daily basis between the two of us because it causes us to have to interact with somebody <laughs> and have like an adult conversation where we can laugh. Well, and we adult, can, adults should go. be in quotes for sure. Yeah, as we're looking at people online right now. <laughs> but like go go back and forth and interact and think. And, yeah, and yeah. oftentimes I'll leave the studio going, okay, like I learned today. I, I laughed. I engaged. And some of it was just crazy. Yeah, right. And, uh, and, and I think that that's probably missing with a lot of people. I think we live in a culture that's lonely and is looking to the wrong places for, for, for fulfillment and happiness. Well, you know, and I think uh, it's interesting that with social media, what ends up happening, I think for all of us, regardless of your Myers-Briggs or how you're wired, yes. I, I think we end up comparing our blooper reel to everyone else's highlight reel. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm really aware of my failures and my shortcomings and my frustrations. And then I hop on Facebook and it's easy to believe, like, man, everyone else is living their best life now, man. Everyone yeah. else is crushing it. Yeah. And here I am still struggling with this or still, you know what I mean? And I, I actually read another article uh, from Business Insider earlier this week that was talking about the correlation between wealth and unhappiness. And part of the reason they found was because the wealthier or more powerful you get, the harder it is to believe that people are actually telling you the truth. Uh, so, like, you may have more people around you, but if you have even an ounce of self-awareness, you start to realize, like, man... People are saying yes to me all the time because I'm wealthy, because I'm powerful. So we end up thinking, if I could climb this ladder, 
that will lead to my subsequent happiness when, in fact, they've now interviewed a number of notable wealthy people who said, actually, the opposite is true because you, you, it's a struggle to even get people to be honest with you. And if this article mm-hmm. is right, and I think it is, it's not just proximity to people. If that were the case, you could just hang out in crowds all the time and feel fulfilled. It's, it's true intimacy, people knowing you and you knowing them. And in a lot of ways, power and wealth starts to cloud some of those lines. Man, that's powerful because it, to, to make this go biblical— uh, where does Jesus, where does the New Testament, all that, what does the Bible tell us contentment's found? Contentment is not found in the accumulation of money and of wealth, but yet so many of us, that's where we go. I'm a pastor. I go there often too. Right. If I could just have a little bit more in my bank account, if I could just have totally. a little bit of a bigger house, a nicer car, I'm going to be you know, something. And, and that's just not true. And these non-Christian statistics are kind of bearing this out. Uh, we would love for you to interact with us. You can, we're on Facebook Live today, so you can check it out on Facebook and uh, interact there. You could text us at 68683. You can give us a call at 312-660-2594. Well, coming up next, we're in the middle of Holy Week, so Ian and I are going to discuss what is Monday, Thursday? What does that even mean? What is the day of Holy Week that we are celebrating right now? That's what's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. We're excited that you're joining with us on this Holy Week. And as two pastors, you know, this is a big week. I guess it's a big week for all non-pastors, too, any Christ followers. <laughs> but for us as pastors, like, this is, uh, it's a very enjoyable week. We Yesterday we joke, like, we don't like when people call it the Super Bowl or this or that, but it's an enjoyable week. It's a week that's always a good time as a pastor. And... Uh, because of that, we wanted to take a little bit of time to talk about what is today kind of in the Holy Week calendar. And it's this, it's always this weird name, right? Monday, Thursday. I remember as a kid being like, what? Monday, Thursday? This doesn't make sense. What is this Monday, Thursday? What What does Monday mean, Pastor I have Brian? No idea. You should be Googling it right now. I don't. You don't know what Monday means? Uh, I, oh, I looked this up today. It means example, right? Or it means. I think it means commandment. Oh, okay. See, this is why I, need, I learn on this show. Then again, who knows if I'm right? I don't know if I'm right. You're going <laughs> to text us at 68683. What does Monday mean? Oh, um, boy. But uh, today is Monday, Thursday. And uh, so what is it? I'm going to put on you now. What is it that today is symbolizing? What is it that today specifically in the Holy Week kind of journey? What does it mean? Yeah. I, okay. So that's two different questions. What does it Take symbolize? What does it symbolize? And what does it mean? And I don't know that either of them are the right starting point. I think first you need to just start like with what actually happened, right? I think we, we jump right to, oh, what is the washing of the feet? I mean, what is the, like, yeah. I think, uh, at least in my, I'm kind of, you know, talking to myself. First, start with the story itself. Mm-hmm. Just enter into it. I think that is, you and I have both talked about this, the difficulty of sometimes turning that part of our brain off. It's all like, yep. what's the angle? What's the Good sermon point. illustration, yeah. you know? Um, but the humanity of the story is a very, very complex one. There's actually a lot of stuff that happened, but maybe most notably is Jesus washing the, you know, the disciples feet. Correct. And, um, I, I posted something like this a little earlier that, that Jesus example of washing the feet of even his betrayer shows that who we're to love actually has nothing to do with whether or not that person deserves it. Yes. Like if ever there was an example of the guy who would ultimately betray him, Jesus says, yeah, I'm going to wash his feet, too. It yeah. has nothing to do with, like, well, 
He hasn't been very nice to me, yes. and he's, it's about to get worse. Yeah. You know, like it's. I was even sharing with our staff uh, yesterday. You know, on Wednesday, Holy Wednesday, when we talk about Judas betraying Jesus for mm-hmm. just a couple of a couple of coins, and like really feeling like, yeah, but what are the ways we betray Jesus though? What are the ways that mm-hmm. we often, you know, in pursuit of our own ego or our own comfort? Like, I th- I think that's kind of the point to yeah. not just say, yeah, Judas, what an idiot. Although he didn't make a lot of great decisions, but to also say, what are the ways that I do that? And you know, Peter's response is so Peter. <laughs> yes, <laughs> Jesus is going around. He's like, not, not me. And Jesus is like, well, it's not going to go great for you if you yeah. don't let me. He's like, okay, then my whole body, wash it's, it all. <laughs> it's like such that. an all or nothing response. And then, and not to get too gross, but like we forget that they didn't have they didn't have Jordans when they you know in the ancient yes. Near East. Like it's 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 sandals at best, and it's it's dirt. And bugs and probably other stuff. So it's not just this. Often the depiction is like, and Jesus, he humbled himself. Yes. And you're like, okay, humbled is such a churchy word sometimes. It's like he degraded himself. Yes. And we get so uncomfortable with that language. Like, oh, Jesus doesn't degrade himself. Like, mm-hmm. I, he kind of does. And he makes statements like, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. Yes. And we put that on plaques and needle stitch it on pillows. But I think sometimes the scandal of this upside-down way of the kingdom is so easily lost on yeah. us, especially in Holy Week, because we're like, ah, oh, we know these stories, and we know that it ultimately leads to the resurrection, so don't you sometimes feel like, yeah, let's get to Sunday, yep. man. Yep. Like, I think that's the importance of Holy Week is to really, you know, enter into some of these stories. Yeah, and, and so I did look it up. You were right. It does mean commandment. <laughs> I was I was along the right track calling yeah. it an example. Like, yeah. do this. He was saying, do this. That's a commandment. And right. I was taking more like, Follow my example right. here. So I'll give you that. Did, did I talk my way out of that one? Kind of. So John 13, right, says, new, a new command I give you, love one another as I've loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my, my disciples if you love one another. And then Jesus, Oof. how, when he says, uh, as I have loved you, and what is one of the most graphic pictures of how he's loved you, He just you just talked about it when he washes their feet. He says, you want no you want to see how I'm going to love you? And and it messes with them, right? Like you said, Peter's like, no, you can't do that. And so I think hmm. what we want to cha- be challenged by is like, A, be humbled by that. Like our Savior, our Lord, nobody in all of human history more deserved to be served. Yeah, and yet right. he did that. Like that yeah. was a slave's job, right? Like that was, like you said, it was gross. And it was, there was nothing like cute about this. And right. oftentimes we read the the stories of scripture and we're like, Oh, but it wasn't really gross. Jesus is just making a point. Remember right. that picture on the flannel graph? And his a, hair's perfect yeah. still. <laughs> and this bathrobe that he wears. or You know, they've, he's probably tired. I, I, you know, yeah. like I don't think in, the, in his humanity, Jesus was like, you know what I want to do right now? I want to wash their feet. Like this really, really would fulfill me. I really want to do this. Yeah, right. <laughs> and, and he does it. And he says that this is how you're to treat one another. And, and, and. How would our, what would our world look like? What would our churches look like? Mm. What would any of us look like if actually we lived this out, even a fraction? Yeah, like right. Even, even if in the coming months and year we live this out just a little better, like what does it look like to serve other people in this way? Because it's not natural, it's, it's, it's almost just so difficult to get our minds around. Well, and, and it does, I mean, not to juxtapose this passage with every other thing that the church does, because I think in a lot of ways they can be secondary and still be good things. Yep. But what he doesn't say is uh, the world will know that you're mine by your politics, mm. your theology, your fog machine, your attire, your, any of those. Things. They will know 
that you belong to me by how you love one another. Yes. Like that to me is so convicting and so counterintuitive and not just, you know, when he goes on elsewhere, it's like, it's not just, don't let, just don't just love the people in your life that are easy to love. Yep. Like love your enemy, pray for those who persecute yes. you. Like he, he's, and to me, again, the other, this is maybe a, an aside for another time, but like he's nearing the end of his life on earth mm-hmm. and he's not giving one more sermon. He's nope. not, um, he's not performing one more miracle, nope. right? He's not multiplying food. He's, he's breaking bread. He's sharing a meal. Yep. And I think in our culture, in our day and age, we've we've so uh, lowered the significance of the table, not just yeah. in a Eucharistic sense, but even in the shared meal sense, yeah. you know, because just like we were talking, we're going so fast all the time and we're, our lives are so filled with tasks and appointments yes. that like, you know, the, the, the mystics used to have this saying, there's something like every table is an altar. Like every mm. meal is this sacred opportunity Absolutely. to do what Jesus said, to love one another, to serve one another. And uh, I don't know. I think the very fact that he's just at this point, a few hours away from his crucifixion is not doing what you or I would likely do, which is like one more blog post yep. or one more. He's like, yep. no, I'm going to share a meal with, with like my closest friends. Yeah, and then I'm going to go out and I'm going to pray for them. And it's unbelievable. Have you ever been a part uh, of a foot washing service? Ceremony? I have. I have. It yes. is so uncomfortably it is. humbling. Yeah. Totally. And then to be able to sit in that and be like, like, I remember the first time somebody washed my feet in one of these ceremonies, I wanted mm. to make them stop. Oh, yeah, because, absolutely. And not because it was gross or it was just because it felt so like unnatural, like uh-huh. they were degrading themselves in some ways. And then you start to think about, OK, that's Jesus's words. Oof, no I kidding. Get this. It's crazy. No kidding, man. Well said. Well, we want you to live in this. It's Easter week. It's Holy Week. And we want you to be thinking about these things as you go. So take some time to contemplate Monday, Thursday today and what it means to love others the way that Christ loved us. Well, the first hour is in the book for Ian Simpkins. I'm Brian Fromm. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Uh, Right now, we are on Facebook Live, so you can uh, follow us at The Common Good Radio Show. That is The Common Good Radio Show. And right there, you'll see our our sweet faces. That that sounded weird. That sounded weird. I'm glad you owned up to it. It did sound weird. <laughs> you can watch us. It's always kind of fun to watch and be able to comment and be able to have a conversation going right right, like, right like that. So we would love to have you do that. You can text us at 68683. Type in CG followed by your comment. That's 68683. And all the begging I did before, we haven't got, no one has written me just to say, hey, we affirm you. But it's starting to feel real sad, Brian. I know. I'm going to go home and it's going to be like the weather today. I'm going to be cold and gray and crying. It's perfect for Good Friday. It, <laughs> There you go. There you go. You can also find old shows at 1160hope.com or wherever it is that you get your podcast. Well, man, every now and then we like to dive into some more topical stuff, things that are more um, in the news today. 
or over the last couple of days. So with that in mind, you know, there's presidential election coming up. And so uh, we're starting to get the candidates. They're starting to speak on issues. And uh, something Bernie Sanders said just jumped out to me. So uh, he said this, that the, the headline says Bernie Sanders endorses abortion, quote, up until the moment of birth. And you and I have talked a lot about abortion, for one, but also about headlines. You have to be careful about headlines. So I want to read a little bit of what this is about. Democratic presidential candidate Bernie Sanders on Monday dismissed the debate over late-term abortion up to the moment of birth, calling it a, quote, political issue, but ultimately saying he thinks it should remain legal. He was asked, with regard to abortion, do you believe that a woman should be able to terminate a pregnancy up until the moment of birth? So that's a pretty straightforward question. Yeah. Look, Sanders responded, I think that happens very, very rarely, and I think that is being made into a political issue. But at the end of the day, I believe that the decision over abortion belongs to a woman and her physician, not the federal government, not the state government, and not the local government. So it says pro-life leaders criticize Sanders' comment, uh, calling them total barbarism and no moral courage to protect the weakest, health care for all except the little one on the sonogram, and so on and so forth. And so I don't really necessarily want to take this from the political side, although both people there called it a political issue, and I think I want to start there. Um, Abortion in our country is a political issue, but I don't think it should be. Uh, And for Christians, I think this is a a bigger issue than that. So I should ask you first your take on what Bernie Sanders said, and then we'll unpack this just a little bit. I actually want to ask a question about something you just said. Why don't you think it should be a political issue? I don't think it should only be a political issue. Oh, okay. So you think it needs to exist in the realm of politics? Yeah, because politics is where our laws are set. And so it is a political issue, but I think that it cheapens the conversation when it's only treated as a political issue. Okay, so is there some nuance there to use a word that I use way too much for a man to say it should be more than just politics when at a biological level, like, is that, is that harder for us to say than for someone who's um, maybe in the thick of it? Like, what does it mean to say it shouldn't only be a political issue? How can, how can it be both politics and more? Yeah. I, if I'm understanding your question correctly, I would say it's politics in the sense that it, it's, it is a uh, it is driven. Uh, ultimately, there are laws about it, right. and so therefore, that's what makes it a political issue. It is a part of the uh, of the dialogue around uh, leaders, and and our politicians have a say, a large say, into what is legal and what is not in our country. Right. When it's only a political issue, I think it becomes easy for me. And I, you and I have all cards on the table. We've had this discussion a couple times already. Uh, this is a high, uh, this is a die on the hill topic for me. This is a, uh, you know, there's a lot of things where I like to talk about nuance and I like to talk about, I can see both sides. This isn't one of them for me. And I understand that some people out there might be like, well, you know, there, this is a nuanced discussion, but especially when you're talking about late term abortion, where, uh, where he's talking about right up until the moment of birth. And, and I just think it becomes for me. This becomes an issue that we as Christians need to be able to stand up and go, no, no, this is bigger than politics. Yeah. Like this is not a bumper sticker issue. This is a uh, a get out and vote issue on the political side. Although I told you before, I'm not a one um, issue guy. This is usually one of them that is at a higher issue for me than mm-hmm. others. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is also something where we as Christians need to be saying, what can we be doing to not just speak against this, but to create a culture 
uh, where women may say, you know what, I'm going to choose to have my baby and give that baby up for adoption. Right. Or I'm, there, for me, to call it a political issue cheapens it in the sense of it becomes a Fox News, MSNBC debate. Hmm. It becomes something that we argue about and okay. think about, all of which are important. But I think to really change the way our culture sees things, there has to be action behind it. And a lot of times when things are just political, it, it, there's there's little action behind it. Which, when it's at its best, politics is supposed to lead to action. Yeah, but it, it rarely does, right? Yeah, that is unfortunate. <laughs> <laughs> but again, and this is, again, totally an aside, I don't think we should toss out the word politics just because, like, well, Agreed. it should lead to action, but it doesn't, so let's not have a political discussion. Well, I think in some ways... Yes. It, right, totally. I, I, wanna, I mean, I want to hear on both sides... Well, not... I mean, Donald Trump's going to be the candidate, but I want to hear... Uh, what each of these candidates has to say. Like, yeah. I think this is a right question to be asking in these forums. So you're right. I don't want to dismiss the political I know that you side don't. of this. I just don't want to make this only a political I totally, issue. I totally agree. And just to be clear, I find this response really disappointing. I really do. I, since we started doing this show in January, I've had a number of people I'm grateful for who have sent me articles, uh, encouraged me to do further research, and uh, and I've listened. And it, I, I it. I don't see really any evidence to support a uh, a ready to term termination, yeah. and I, that to me is uh, oh man, I'm going to get choked up. Go for it. Like for him to say, I don't want to make it political. It's hard for me to see or to think of a nine month termination as anything yeah. but political. Yeah, and that and that is um, I realize that's a swing, but it is really disappointing for me. To see in these kinds of forums with a straight face, someone um, who could dismiss that, say, "Hey, ultimately, that's that's their choice." Because yep. I, tr- I I try to think of any other scenario in human life where we would say that. Yes. Um, we decide on, and you and I both talked about this. I'm uh, I'm not pro death penalty, um, but that's not like a decision between this guy and the guy, you know, the family that that's a, they make that a governmental decision, yes. a governmental choice, yep. and. Uh, yeah, that it it like again too like an existential level like it makes me sad that um that is that is now a really like widely acceptable option. Yeah. Um and I'm just even I mean, the, the reason I think I'm getting worked up is I'm thinking about my own boys yeah. who both came you 5 weeks early, man. right? Yeah, like that's yeah. all really present there and I and I get I I've heard both sides. I hear the arguments and I totally get the circumstantial stuff, but I do think as Christ followers, we have to have the spine to at least say when appropriate, nah, that's just that's it's just wrong. straight up and not okay. Yep. And we want to love you in the midst of what may have been an absolutely horrific nine months or nineteen years or whatever that's been for you. And we're gonna we're gonna and I've often said this too, if we're gonna be pro life, let's be willing to adopt some babies and care yes. for some single mamas. We have to it cannot just be about getting a vote on this side or that side. And that's where you said this so well, man. I appreciate your emotion over this, too, is because, A, I want people to be emotional about this. Like, yeah. I think we get emotional about too many things in our culture, but mm. this is one we've got to get emotional about. Mm. Like, this is one of them. Uh, and two, like, let's, you know, let's just not point fingers here, church. Like, it's got to be the church yeah, yeah. that creates a movement so that there's not, a, you know, so that adoptions are happening so that foster, and I know a lot of people do, but a lot of times instead we scream about what shouldn't happen, right. but we aren't willing to step into to be part of that solution. And so, yeah. you know, if you're a Christ follower who is who is staunchly anti-abortion, uh, what can you do to step in there that might make it more comfortable for one person uh, to not abort their baby?
what is one thing you can do? And maybe we'd be less anti-abortion and more pro-life. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so what can we do to... I mean, there's a lot of stuff about economic policy that, that can yeah. affect things. There's a lot of stuff about foster care system and stuff. So we, we want to look at this holistically. And you said it better than I did when I said it's not just a political issue because you said, let's not make this about getting votes and this and that. No, no, this is about saving babies. And yeah. we've had people from organizations come through here and talk about it. You and I are trying to champion this. Uh, but what can the church, we want to put this back on the Christ follower and say, what are we doing yeah. to change the culture, to change the conversation? And to care for the people and affected by it. to care for right. those people. Man, I appreciate your emotion over this because I do believe uh, this is a hill to die on. And uh, it's a heavy topic. We'd love to hear what you have to say. You can always text us at 68683. We're on Facebook Live right now. You can comment there uh, and let us know. Uh, well, coming up next, uh, we're going to shift gears again and talk about uh, a, a local story of, of Porter Moser, the coach, the basketball coach at Loyola University, who just did something pretty unbelievable over the last 24 hours. We're going to talk about that next on The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. <music> Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm, joined as always by Ian Simpkins. You can follow us on Facebook, and today we're on Facebook Live at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. Uh, You can call us at 312-660-2594, and as always, you can text us at 68683. Put CG in the comment section, and then whatever uh, it is you have for us. So, ma'am. Uh, Loyola coach Porter Moser. So a little bit of background. Remember last year, so not this past basketball season, but the basketball season before, Loyola made the magical run to the Final yeah, Four. Yes. It took over the Chicagoland it area. It really did. Uh, they made this as magical run all the way to the Final Four. They lost in the semifinals, but it was it was like it was like something it was almost out of Hoosiers, right? Mm-hmm. It was like something that people had never seen before. And Porter Moser's the coach. And this past year, they had a little bit more of a disappointing year, but as is the custom when you've had success and notoriety, you begin to start to move up the ranks uh, and people start to, th- to start to think of you for some of the bigger jobs. And Porter Moser uh, is no different. So Porter Moser was just recently offered the job at St. John's. And St. John's, if you're not, if you're not kind of into college basketball, uh, is a step up from Loyola. It's a part of the Big East, which is a big deal. They play at Madison Square Garden. Uh, it's New York City. Yeah, uh, it's the kind of a next. It's a it's an increased step. It's a step up from Loyola, and so a lot of people thought that he was going to take this job, and they came at him really hard. Uh, he went back and forth. He went there, uh, and uh, Porter Mosier was offered an eight year deal by St. John's worth a reported uh, seventeen million to eighteen million dollars total. So just. Get your mind around that. I am sure that I cannot. Eight years, 17 to $18 million. And so Mosier went home and he thought about it and he thought about how this was such uh, a great offer. But Mosier ultimately turned it down. And he also last season turned down the UNLV job, the University of Nevada at Las Vegas. Uh, even though he has received no assurance he'll ever get a raise from his approximate $900,000 a year salary. Oh, poor guy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think that's, that's, uh, that is a, uh, a part of this. You're like, well, you're still making 900 grand, but he could have been up to two, three million. And more importantly, kind of on a track to keep going. Like yep. what there's a next one probably after St. John's 
Porter Mosier said this when asked about it. He told the Chicago Tribune, you can be rich without the dollar signs. That's so what good. an unbelievable line. You no can be kidding. rich without the dollar signs. And he went on to keep going. When you step back and look, I've put so much blood, sweat, and tears into this program. We have a new practice facility. I got two commitments Sunday morning, and the moms were hugging me. <laughs> and then I'm calling three days later to tell them I'm leaving. I can't do that. Hmm. So many people in the profession said, are you kidding me? You can't win at Loyola. And then he won there, and it keeps going. He grew up in Naperville, started at Bennett. Uh, and so he's kind of an Illinois guy. And uh, he says, I'm faith-driven and big on where I can influence. I feel like I can do that at Loyola with the community and the camp with 700 kids. And so kind of the headline portion is how much money he turned down, right? <laughs> right. But Which talk, is why I got the headline. But but reflect on that line. You can be rich without the dollar sign. Well, this is how the story ends with this statement. This is Moses speaking. He says, people in business say that I'm crazy for passing up opportunities and the money. But what they don't know is the amazing young man I coach and the culture we have built. What they yeah. don't know are the people and friends that make up the Loyola community. And what they don't know is what actually makes me tick. Mm. And that, man, there's a guy that like not only knows who he is, because I feel like we yeah. talk about that a lot, the identity piece, like who you are. And you and I, from a pastoral perspective, are often saying things like who you are in Christ. Uh, but for him, knowing not just who he is, but like what it is that makes him tick. Yep. And that's the kind of comment the kind of conversation that I try to have with like young men that I mentor mm. because I think so often we go right after progress or climbing some sort of ladder without even giving it a second thought as to like, wait a minute, where does this ladder lead? Is that mm. what I actually want Where's this 20 years from now? Good. It doesn't, we don't even give that a second thought. Like, well, I'm supposed to be climbing something. Yes. Like, I'm if I'm a youth pastor, of course I'm going to one day be a senior pastor. If right. I if I'm at a church of 200, of course I'm going to try to get to the church of 800. Be, right. And I'm not knocking any of that. Both no. of us were youth pastors, yes. right? Which is totally fine. But I and I won't speak for you. I didn't get into youth ministry to become a lead pastor mm. at all. I, it ended up happening. Super surprising, by the way. Yes. But for me, I was like, I love working with students. It just it's what made me tick. And yeah. uh, I think. For him to know, to really put his money where his mouth is. Like, hey, that's, I get there's a lot of money. I'm not stupid. Like, he's like, I got a mortgage. Like, he's not a dumb guy. But to know with such confidence, you know what? There's actually more to this whole thing than just simply the dollar signs behind it. Like, I know what makes me tick. And there's something about that, whether you're a Christ follower or not, that when you see that, you think, oh, man, I want that kind of confidence and i think that's i think it's really inspiring absolutely there's i like that line you used like where's this ladder going we're all mm. tra- constantly trying to climb the ladder quote unquote and where is this ladder taking me right and, yeah man when i got into youth ministry i neither went into it to remain a youth pastor or not like i mm. i kind of backed into it and all of a sudden i was in it but there's so much you and i talked about this the other day like something that i struggle with and I, I, I like to think that our culture struggles with it, but I'm just going to own it and say something that I struggle with is this, um, how to put it, it is always looking for what's next, Yeah, right. not living in the present. And right. so we talked about this as parents, right? Like, oh, you know, you've got newborn and a 17-month-old. Man, I can't wait till they can walk. Yeah, I can't wait till they can talk to me more. Right. The baby. I can't wait till they go to school. I can't wait. And all of a sudden you're always thinking about, I can't wait for that next thing. And I yep. can't wait for that next thing. My kids are older, right? I can't wait till uh, my daughter can drive. She's a permit, but now right. I can't wait till she <laughs> right. can drive. I can't wait till my son or my younger daughter are in middle. And you just keep moving. And then all of a sudden you're like, wait, wait a minute. I just kind of missed like where we are right now. And yeah. there's this encouragement to go, 
to look around and open your eyes and not, oh, we got to have vision and we got to set forward. But even I do this in our church, like sometimes just going, oh, wait, our church is in a pretty cool spot. Yeah, right. right like I right. like our people. I like what's going on. Mm. Yes, we need to be able to speak to where we want to be five years from now, but so often it's only about where we want to be in five years wait, and so where we're trying to get. Can I ask you a question then? How yeah. do you decipher between contentment and laziness? Yeah. Because I, I, they can look really similar, can't they? It really can. And I think. And I wouldn't even go with contentment as much as just thankfulness for where I okay. am. Um, and I, I, you know, I, they're, they probably are pretty similar. I think if I was like, man, I'm really happy with where we are and yeah, no, we're not going to do anything to get there. <laughs> then I think that, that you're probably on a bad time. But, mm. um, you know, with my kids, I want to be thinking about, you know, you know, what, what's it going to look like when they go to college or when my other kids get a little older. But at the same time, just go, man, I really like this stage we're in with my family mm. right now. Like, I really want to build into them now and enjoy it now. Right, and, right, right. And at church, I want to enjoy it now. And, you know, this radio show, we could talk about what's it going to be six months from now. Right. Who knows? They probably yeah. kick us off in six weeks. But, <laughs> you know, and and I like that's why I like this Mosier story, because he said, yeah, there's a lot of good reasons to leave. And if I went to St. John's, maybe then the next step is I'm going to be at, you know, a bigger program, Kansas, yeah, right. Duke, whatever. But he's right. going, you know, maybe, maybe someday in the future. But right now, I love this team. I love this community. I am making 900 grand. Like, <laughs> yeah, right. I, I'm enjoying it. And so I'm going to be content and stay here, even though some of you probably, his his coaching buddies are probably calling him up being like, you're crazy. Man. Yeah, totally. But how many people said that when we went into ministry in the first place? Like, yeah. I'm at the point now, you know, 15, 16 years into it. I tell people regularly, and I mean this entirely, I never thought I would enjoy doing something professionally as much as I enjoy being a pastor. That's a hundred percent true. That's not to say that it isn't without its lumps and there are, yep. you know, difficulties and tension. But like I, even when I was like dreaming upon dreaming as a, a teenager, I never thought like, Oh man, I actually, I never thought I would enjoy something as much as I enjoy it. And yep. it, it, and some of that is like some drive to imagine like, okay, but what could the next, you know, this is speaking as someone who is probably far more obsessively looking to the next yes. and struggles to be present. You've said that before. Yeah. Uh, and it's and it's definitely true. And I don't know how much better I am at it than last I said it. <laughs> so, so I'm definitely coming from that perspective. Like, man, Ian needs to like unplug, learn to rest, yeah. be present, stop thinking about the next. And yet I also know that sometimes God does give us like a dream and a passion yeah. and to have the courage to say, okay, what does that look like? to step into that and still be grateful for where I am with Moser feels like he's super grateful and he has right perspective about where his priorities are. So when someone dangles a bunch of money, he's like, that's great. I totally get why that's appealing. That for me isn't what makes me tick. And I know that about myself. And so thanks, but no thanks. And it would have been fine if he said, I'm going to go to St. John's. It's a good next step. But like, we're not saying like he made the righteous decision by staying right. Like this was not a right and wrong decision. But it's just really refreshing to hear him go. This is what's. This is what makes me content. Yes. This is what makes me happy. Uh, this is where I, I'm. I'm okay with that, even though it looks kind of backwards. That's and I right, think man. We want to applaud that. Well, coming up next, uh, this one is going to be for you, man, because <laughs> science tells us rest is vital. So why do we glorify sleep deprivation in our careers? I'm going to ask know. the dad with newborn who is sleep deprived. We're going to talk about that coming up next on the Common Good. On AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm, joined as always by Ian Simpkins. You can follow us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. 
And a little something fun going on there right now is that we are live on Facebook Live. That's why Ian just gave you a uh, a salute right there. And so uh, it's something new. It's, it's something I got to learn about, though, man, because I feel like it's very easily distracting. <laughs> like, I'm barely listening to you right now. I literally, <laughs> I literally looked down before and I was like, oh, I look kind of fat in this. <laughs> No, you look great. Uh, but you can also find <laughs> old shows, thank you, at 1160hope.com or find old podcasts wherever it is that you get your podcast. If you'd subscribe, you can follow us each day. They'll they'll uh, send you our podcast every time. And right now we're excited that we've broken down the podcast. Now some people asked us to break it down, like, which segment are you talking about what? And so yeah, now right. you'll see that. So our, our podcast is a lot more manageable right now. So we're excited about that. Thanks, and, Josh. Thank you, Josh, and others. So we'd be glad for having you do that. But you can also call us, 312 660 you can text us at 68683, type in CG, followed by your comment. Well, before talking about this, man, I just had a pretzel. Before talking about this, I told you that I was tired. <laughs> so, you, you sure did. And you're the one who's got a newborn at home, not sleeping. Like, you guys are having some serious sleep problems beyond even just a newborn at the yeah, moment. Yeah, right, right, right. And so uh, an interesting article right here that we wanted to tackle, it just says this, science tells us rest is vital. True or false? Huh. I mean, I'm going to go true. I'm going true, too. Fair enough. So here's the question. It says, so why do we glorify sleep deprivation in our careers? <laughs> so let me read a little bit of this. In, right. in December of 2018, the author writes, I stumbled across a video that inspired an abrupt change in my lifestyle. I found it thanks to an algorithm designed by a group of humans that know far more than I care to admit about my interests. <laughs> I like to think that I believe it. Anyway, keeps going. The headline said, Navy SEAL commander expa- explains why wake up at 4 a.m. Uh, and so, like many creatives, I've been a night owl for most of my life. Uh, but this says, over the last three years, I slowly went from waking up at 10 a.m. to 9 a.m. to 8 a.m. Of course, the intense cultural pressure to be a morning person was a significant factor as well. Nowhere is this, quote, hustle culture more celebrated than social media's 4 a.m. club, a place where celebrities post pictures of empty gyms and alarm clocks, alarm clocks set to ungodly hours. So it's kind of making the point that we uh, we kind of, you know, we, we kind of glorify this get up really early. You don't need sleep. You just keep going. You got to hustle and hustle and hustle. Uh, but he says, in order to wake up early, I had to sacrifice my long-cherished eight hours of sleep. And it wasn't until my sleep debt compounded that I began to understand the real cost of joining the cult of hustle. And this thing goes on to say that hmm. science has proven uh, that we need rest, that we need sleep, that it's not healthy for you to just go, go, go all the time, all the time. And so he wants to say, then why do we like have this badge of honor for people who don't sleep? Because you've seen this, right? Like, oh, I get up at 5 a.m. every day to work out, and I do this, or I stay up late, and I burn the midnight oil. And uh, and if we know, if we all know that sleep is needed, then why do we buck against it? Okay, so Andy Stanley, not speaking of this specifically, but years ago I heard him say, what's rewarded is repeated. Mm. And he's talking about, like, staff culture. He's like, man, what you celebrate, people will pay attention to the questions that you ask, and I think in a in a cultural sense – this is a lot of what we're seeing. What's rewarded is repeated. Like, think about it. Uh, alcoholics get treatment. Workaholics get applauded. Oh, that's good. Right? Yeah. Someone's got a substance abuse issue, an addiction. We're like, oh, man, you really need to get into a treatment center. Yep. Someone, even if they're not bragging, even if somebody else notices it, is talking about, man, they're they're just hustling hard. They're, I, I remember even at the church I was hired at, uh, the pastor, one of the first sermons that I was there for, 
he he was bragging from the pulpit about working 80 hours a week the no. last four weeks. And, like, people celebrated that. And even as, like, a 23-year-old, I thought, wait a minute. If you're here 80 hours a week, what's going on in your marriage? What's yeah. going on with your kids? And that's not, I'm not, I mean, you know, I, I, I need to say I'm as guilty of all of this as anybody. Like, mm. I go home, and a lot of times, once the family goes to sleep, I'm like, okay, I can probably... I can get a couple of hours of emailing in or whatever. Like I, I am as at fault as yep. anyone listening anywhere. Sleep deprivation is a a huge issue for me, and it isn't because I don't think that sleep is valuable. I know sleep is valuable. I just think at the core, I often find accomplishments more valuable, yes. and like that, I think is what he's kind of driving at here because he talks about some of the shifts. You know, in 1942, people slept around seven hours and 54 minutes. Nowadays. Mm. Americans manage just six hours and 18 minutes. Only only the Japanese are worse, sleeping for just six hours and 12 minutes. And now listen to this. The negative effects are staggering. Economists estimate that the uh, the absenteeism caused by sleep deprivation cost the Japanese economy $138 billion annually. Mm. I've never heard anyone talk about the efficiency lost by perpetual sleep deprivation. Wow. Like that, we don't usually equate that because we think about it in such individualized terms like what you were mentioning earlier. I got a couple of newborns home. One's got some digestive issues. We're just kind of tired all the time, you know? And my wife is the rock star because she's in it all day long. But like when you think at an economic level, like, man, if we have a whole culture of people functioning with uh, a little bit of sleep deprivation, that actually measures out to some real economic loss and i've like i've never even considered it in that term in nasa in 1995 it says here began a power nap experiment hmm. if an employee felt tired managers encouraged them to leave their work and take a short 26 minute nap the results were surprisingly effective that a short nap improved cognitive performance by 34 percent and alertness by 54 percent Despite this, though, NASA's napping philosophy didn't spread to other organizations, and only a handful of large companies openly recommend power naps to their employees. I think you've really put your finger on it, man, and that's this. It's not just sleeping, but it's also disconnecting and rest. Yeah, right. It's just the concept of Sabbath and rest, whether it be for an hour or whether it be for a day, that we have had pounded into our heads from an early age that you are you are as valuable as you are productive. Yeah, and right. that production uh, is is what you can do. The hours you work, the money you make, the things that you create, uh, and so therefore, your pastor could get up and go, "I work eighty hours a week," and people applaud. Right. If he said, "I drink six beers a day," and I might be an alcoholic, they're going to fire him. Yeah, is, or get him help at the very at least. The right, very least, and so that's a big deal. Uh, but it's like this, like wink, wink, like nobody's like, "Oh yeah, you know." We all make fun of those other countries that have siestas, right? Yeah. And and I don't know if that's valuable or not, but there is uh, – our culture is moving away. And then you add things like the connectedness of our culture. Yeah. Uh, always on our phone, always on our computer, um, and that it becomes really hard to ever disconnect. Mm-hmm. And now this problem is heightened. And so for all of you out there, the question becomes, do you believe not just that sleep is vital – like, in reality, I'm not a big sleeper. Like, I literally don't sleep that much. Hmm. If I go to bed at 10, 30, 11 o'clock, I will naturally wake up by 6 or 6.30 really? and not be able to sleep anymore. It that's still a decent amount of hours, though. I mean, that's uh, that's more than what they're saying on average we get. Correct. Correct. But my whole point being, like, if there's a day where I can just sleep, like, if we were, like, out of town, and it's like, you don't have to get up for anything, I'm oh, still going to get up. I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. My wife is different. Like, and so it's just different that way. 
but I will. I can't nap. I can't. Literally, can't tell you the last time I took a nap. No kidding. But I can rest. Mm. I can disconnect. I can kind of veg out, or I can just enjoy. You know, and, and I think that is tied into this. Yeah. Like if you're not a sleeper, like oh, I hate to nap. I don't. Okay, <laughs> but when are when are you disconnecting from work? Yeah. Right. And even I think I've said it before that Abraham Heschel quote: "Those who work with their mind Sabbath yes. with their hands." I used that the other day. Did you? Yes. The other half of that: those who work with their hands Sabbath with their mind. Like know what is rest to you. I think is also important. Like you were saying, sometimes naps. Don't work, but I also know other people could be nap people, and they don't because yep. there's so much pressure and weight that this whole thing crumbles if I'm not on 24-7. I think Sabbath and rest is so much more uh, countercultural than we realize. It's way more than just, hey, your body needs it, and yeah. your brain needs to reset, and you're losing productivity. I think it's far more cosmic. It's far more sacred that when we actually unplug, when we actually rest, it is making this sacred declaration that I'm not the king of the universe. Yes. And I honestly... It's easy to forget that. If you're always on, you start to really believe that you're a human doing, not a human being, mm. right? That there's value and purpose even when I'm not accomplishing anything. And that feels so silly and so Hallmark movie-ish. But, like, yes. man, we need – I think God knew that we need those rhythms to regularly remember you are more than the sum of your accomplishments. Yes. And when we don't rest, I think it's easy for us to forget that. Oh, but it's so it so gets at your identity, the yeah. core of your totally. identity. It's so important. And there's always more things to do. Yeah. I'm going to go home tonight and stare at dishes that <laughs> I'm either going to do or I'm going to feel guilty not doing. Yeah. And, and then those things just compound. There's always more you to do. You should do the dishes, though. I'm going to okay, do them good. tonight. I'm going to do them. But, but my point is, even when you've set to rest, there's always more you can be doing. And so yeah. it becomes a discipline for a reason. Absolutely. All right. Speaking of craziness, that was craziness. <laughs> we always like to end the show just with crazy stories that we found on the internet. Not we, but our producer, uh, our producers Josh and Keith have found. And so that's what we're going to do next. We're going to end the show uh, just with some craziness from the internet. That's going to be fun. That's what's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. <clears throat> Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. It's that time of the show here on The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. We always like to end the show uh, with lunacy from the internet, crazy things that have been found for us. A disclaimer, we have not seen these. So when we read these to you, uh, they are sight unseen. So therefore, they're not our fault. And uh, Also, the AM 560 post-it. I don't know. That feels mean. Do we even have post-its? We're going to find that out. Oh, that's true. We probably... Our oh, executive producer, uh, Keith Conrad, who was his birthday yesterday. Uh, he's true. He's he, 87 uh, years old. He uh, he does these for us, and he's standing right over our shoulder right now to like... I think he's he's ready. He's ready for some fun. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. You go first. I hate going first. All right. Florida. There we go. We're back. <laughs> we didn't We're have back. Florida yesterday, so that's that's exciting. Okay. Missing Ohio dog turns up in Florida exactly one year later. What? And in hot, in a, an Ohio family's missing dog turned up exactly one year later and over a thousand miles away in the Florida panhandle. The Perlin family said their three-year-old Pekingese dog, Bruno, escaped during a walk on April 13th, 2018, and days of searching failed to turn up any trace of the runaway, runaway canine. Was he hit by a car? Did someone take him? Were they treating him Okay. 
Bruno's disappearance remained a mystery until April 13th, one year to the day since the dog went missing when they received a call from from an animal shelter in the Florida Panhandle. The shelter said Bruno had been brought in by a member of the public who found him wandering alone in the rain. The shelter scanned Bruno's microchip and contacted the family. Someone brought him in because he was wandering around the neighborhood for a couple of days in the rain, and we were all screaming. We were so happy. And the family said they do not know how Bruno ended up in Florida or what has what he's been doing for the past year, but they're now planning a road trip to bring Bruno home. Are you crying? Am I crying? No, I'm not crying. You're crying. That's a good story. That's good. That's good. That was happy. Florida. Way to go, Florida. Connecticut. <laughs> a, a dead pig's brain was brought back to life, sort of. Did they really bring back, bring a dead pig's brain back to life? Well, sort of. In the new research published Wednesday... Scientists say that they restored circulation and cellular activity in a pig's brain four hours after its death. This is how we get zombies, by the way. This is right. (laughs) This is how zombies start. Okay. This is a finding that challenges long-held assumptions about the timing and irreversible nature of the cessation of some brain functions after death. Yale University scientists report. Here's how it went down. Scientists obtained the brain of a dead pig from a meatpacking plant, infused it with specially designed chemical solutions. Soon soon thereafter, many basic cellular functions, once thought to see seconds or minutes after oxygen, were seen four hours later. However, researchers stressed that the treated brain lacked any recognizable electrical signals associated with normal brain function. We did something very bad. Did you wreck the car? No. Did you raise the dead? Yes. <laughs> the car's okay. Uh-huh. All right, then. <laughs> That's so good. All right, Indiana. Police warn of goose attacking oh, no. Walmart shoppers. That's just a good sentence right there. Police in Indiana shared an unusual warning about a goose blamed for attacking at least two shoppers in a Walmart parking lot. The Fisher Police Department said the goose attacked at least two people at the local Walmart to, uh, store Tuesday morning without being provoked. Police said the shoppers suffered minor injuries from their encounters. Geese can be territorial and aggressive. Amen. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) Please be aware of your surroundings and keep a safe distance from wild animals, police wrote, using the hashtag Goose Rage. In this particular incident, these people did nothing wrong, Sergeant Tom Wedger told the TV station. For some reason, the animal felt threatened and decided to attack these people. What a revolting development this is. So one of my staff members at the church, Janet, Janet Pack is terrified of geese. Yeah, so understandably gonna... so. They're terrifying. Terrified of them. Florida, we're back. Florida woman fends off half-naked attacker with a baseball bat. Sure. One swing and he was out. A 65-year-old Florida woman fended off a 5'6", 300-pound, 5'6", 300 bills. Wow. Attacker with one blow from her baseball bat. Antonio Mosley was wearing nothing but boxers when he attempted to break into her car. Oh, she boy. saw him through the window of her apartment before calling police. Uh, she decided to take a crack at him herself. Uh, it, crack at him. Uh. I grabbed my bat, I braced myself, and I eased the door open. When Mosley caught sight of her, he charged at her. Little did he know, Ganey had played softball in high school and wasn't rusty on her moves. She took a swing at him and struck his head, leaving a lump. Mosley retreated at, to a trailer park where police later tracked him down. I said, for God's sake, put some clothes on. <laughs> you missed this one quote, though. I took that bat, hit him upside the head like, <laughs> and he said, ow. <laughs> and he's, wow, what riveting, riveting news. All right, last one out of Florida. Gosh darn it, Florida. Well, yesterday we, we were like, why didn't Keith give us any Florida? Now we're, we're all Florida. We're doubling up on Florida and nudity, apparently. Naked toddler in IHOP parking lot leads to arrest of Florida couple passed out oh, in van. dark, dark. <laughs> 
A couple found passed out in a van was arrested last week following the discovery of a naked toddler wandering around a Florida IHOP's parking lot, authorities said. IHOP employees arrived at the restaurant around 5.30 a.m., found the toddler, and wrapped him in an apron. Thank goodness. Man, well, this has been a good day. (laughs) Ending on that one. Those of you you joined us on Facebook Live, it was really fun to interact with you today. Uh, It's been good to be together on this rainy Thursday afternoon. For Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Thanks for joining us. This is The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life.